Oh, we didn't, we didn't introduce our names. Okay, we'll start over. No, 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 no. You can literally, you can literally just say, "I'm Aaron." Then I'll say, "I'm John." I just, I just throw that in the beginning. It's super easy. I'm Aaron, and I'm John. Hello and welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast where we break down the 1987 sci-fi action movie classic Predator, minute by minute. Today we discuss Minute 6. Minute 6 starts with the end of the most epic handshake in the history of cinema and ends with talking. Specifically, Carl Weathers' character, Dylan, giving instructions to Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, Dutch, about the mission they're about to undertake. First, I'd like to point out that I went back and I uh, listened to the first minute podcast, and I realized that I was a little hard on the uh, on the idea that mythology surrounding this story is totally lame. <laughs> and you know what? If people are into it, I think that's pretty cool. And so we'll talk more about the mythology. I'll probably leave it up to my brother John to fill in a lot of the details there. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I just don't think it's as important to this movie as it is to some of the other movies that have minute-by-minute breakdowns out there. Sure, and one of the things I was going to do with this minute was just talk a little tiny bit about the background between Dutch and Dylan that is alluded to and you see more in the script and you see a little tiny bit later when they're in the chopper all together with the red interior lighting but I can talk I can talk about that backstory a little bit later that sounds good well let's launch into talking about what's actually happening in this minute because they throw a lot of details at it here and they all actually end up playing a part of the story and so uh, it's not a lot of dialogue, but it's one minute in this movie where uh, it really is packed in a lot of details pursuant to what's going to happen later. Right. So right at the beginning of this minute, I really like some of the research that you uh, that you did, specifically uh, some stuff that you said you read in Empire Magazine. Tell me about what you think about this <laughs> handshake. <laughs> Sure. Seems, seems like not really enough of a word to encompass exactly what's going on between Arnold and Carl Weathers here. Well, that's the beauty of these things, right? It's that people just refer to it as epic handshake. And I think across pop culture and internet fandom, for the most part, people know what you're talking about when you mention the epic handshake. But yeah, here it is ending at the beginning of this minute where they originally slap palms. Dutch says... Dylan, you son of a bitch. And then says, what's the matter? CIA got you pushing too many pencils. And here it continues on where they are talking over the handshake. And then Dutch is pushing him saying, had enough. Then Dylan responds, make it easy on yourself, Dutch. Eventually, Carl Weathers acquiesces. They hug it out while Carl Weathers is guffawing. And before we go into their conversation afterward, though, yeah, from Empire Magazine, as you mentioned, they published an article called The Complete History of Predator, which is, I'll admit, a little bit light on the details for something called The Complete History of Predator. Uh, maybe it's from a bigger article, but... A History of Predator is probably a better name for that article. I know yeah. what you're talking about. Pieces of the History of Predator or something like that. Uh, but it, it goes back to one of our credits from the beginning, uh, Mark Helfrich, Helfrich, not the coach of <laughs> Oregon. Um, <laughs> still not <laughs> the coach with the of the Chicago Oregon. Bears now, but yeah. <laughs> right. He's moved up to the big leagues. 
But he mentioned how the whole arm wrestling scene plays into this theme that John McTiernan, the director, was trying to push about how over-the-top macho, testosterone-filled these characters are um, up to a certain point where they're shown to be impotent, powerless in the face of the jungle hunter predator. And this handshake epitomizes that, where you're just seeing the, the, the muscles and the guys not even really breaking a sweat over it, just having casual looks upon their faces as they're pushing each other to the limit. And the quote is, that's exactly what McTiernan wanted. We knew it was going to be one of those moments where the audience roll their eyes and applaud at the same time, which, yeah, we do. We laugh about it, but we're also saying they are so strong. They're so jacked. Um, anyway, and it worked that way. It was all about sen- <laughs> extending those moments and making them as brawny as possible. All that was designed. And that's uh, yeah. the editor talking about that. It kind of makes you wonder about other movies than when he has to say that. Like it was designed. It kind of makes me wonder about other movies like uh, like Top Gun, right? Right. <laughs> you, start, you start to wonder like, this was designed, right? They did want it to be a little bit ridiculous. Or are they really just uh, having some incredible fantasy going on in the editing room? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I mean, Presumably if, if, it's designed. <laughs> yeah, if everybody's aware of it now, right? How intentional was it? That's, that's, a, great, that's a great point because... Truth is, we don't know, and we just have to accept what the makers of it say now. Sure. Right, even if that intention wasn't there in the beginning. I, ma- I made a mention in my notes of something I was reminded of when they in the handshake. I, I was very much reminded of when Han Solo and Lando meet or reunite in Cloud City on mm-hmm. Bespin in Empire Strikes Back, where mm-hmm. at first they approach each other uh, as Han Solo leaves the Millennium Falcon, tells the rest of the crew to stay behind while he greets Lando, and you think at first Lando is going to, I don't know, clock him in the face and then they end up it's hugging right. it out it's really just, serious yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and just just they totally changed the mood with how lando is, is is hugging han and saying how you doing and acting all familiar that's exactly that's what that point. reminded me of when what the handshake reminded me of when yeah i, I saw the handshake because right they're going at it and pushing at each other and testing each other's strength and then it's you know back to it's just chit chat right i think empire strikes back I think uh, Lando would have been a lot more intimidating if it were Carl Weathers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. like in a you know, like in a sleeveless T-shirt, that would have really made you think more about him punching Han Solo in the face. Yeah, not that, not that Billy D. Williams isn't intimidating, just maybe not as much as Carl Weathers. Yeah, I would say Carl Weathers does an awesome job here of in this minute, especially he does an awesome job of not saying what. He He's thinking, not saying the true mission, and yet still wearing that a little bit of, of being coy. I would say Lando's playing mm-hmm. it straight on as someone uh, who is glad to see his friend, who's being hospitable and welcoming to his mm-hmm. guests and not really hiding anything. Before totally selling him out. Yeah, before totally selling him out. Whereas Carl Weathers, you could sort of see it coming that he's going to sell him out. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this movie that's sort of leading you to think that maybe, maybe they are going to have some problems. There's a lot of dialogue here, especially con- compared to other scenes in this movie, that packs in a lot of information, and they're clearly trying to get it out of the way and as far as the way the, the movie is paced. Right. Like, you know, there's this one minute, basically, where they get everything out there, and then they will continue on with the uh, with the action shortly. Right. We have one or two lines about the background between Dutch and Dylan and what 
Dutch has, has been up to without Dylan, as well as, at least in this minute, we see the really the repetition of what the mission is going to be, um, because mm-hmm. they set it up with Phillips in the previous minute, and then Carl Weathers' character Dylan finishes most of what Phillips was explaining in the previous minute with what Arnold's team has got to do. But they go from the handshake to Arnold saying, Very friendly banter. Right. What's with this fucking tie business? Dylan jumps right into the backstory after he says, forget about the tie, man. He says, don't worry about my tie. I heard about that little job you pulled off in Berlin. Very nice Dutch. But then he asks about Libya, Berlin and Libya. Here are two jobs we'll never know anything more about other than they're different jobs. And there are different styles of jobs. Arnold just responds to why pass on the Libya job with, it wasn't my style. Dylan says, you got no style, Dutch. You know that. And then (laughs) Arnold says, we're a rescue team, not assassins, which... (laughs) Well, he gives a much more serious look on his face when he does that. So he's he's trying to be credible. (laughs) But I mean, but it's Arnold Schwarzenegger that we're dealing with here. So when he says that about... (laughs) <laughs> you know, a group of commandos that he leads, you kind of think, hmm, some people might be getting hurt. <laughs> Rescue team might be overselling the sort of benign nature of what they do here. Right. If if the if the gorilla camp attack scene in this middle in the middle of this movie is representing what they take to be a rescue mission, I would hate to see what an assassination, <laughs> what an assassination comprises. Because yeah. it would be right. The war is basically over That's after an assassination mission. mission yeah, with exactly. His <laughs> Some rescue yeah. mission. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll break that down when we come to it. But yeah, that's uh, this is your first instance of thinking, oh, what in the world <laughs> could is what in the world represents the sort of code of conduct of these guides? The uh, uh, I think I think the <laughs> beyond that sort of comical nature of of how they're classifying things, I think the purpose is more just to show the difference in mindset between these two guys. So right. I think what's interesting, and I was thinking about this earlier, is, is these guys both left the regular army, right? So uh, you right. learn in a later minute that they used to be presumably regular rank and file army colleagues, and they uh, served together in Vietnam. And they both left, and one became a guy who wants to lead, you know, rescue missions, use his expertise and experience to try to lead this really expert, uh, what he calls rescue team. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy went to go work for the CIA and is, has no problem with, you know, doing assassinations and sort of staying on the shadier side of things. And so I think it's just supposed to look sort of obviously at the way they diverged since the time that they knew each other more closely, presumably, uh, you know, 15, 20 years before. Right. Right from their Vietnam and Thailand and Cambodia days. The way I see it is right, like just like you're seeing it as Arnold and his team specialize in these rescue missions. Whereas Dylan, yeah, is someone who is higher up and is now not afraid to use people like Dutch and his team as these tools, as these whatever whatever it takes to to complete the job kind of tools. You know, if we if we have to wipe out a team of gorillas to do this rescue mission, which again is all the is, is what we know so far. We don't <laughs> we, have, we haven't seen anything else to tell us otherwise but he's not afraid to just scoop up this team and use them as this tool um, I, I really like the editing job here when they're having this conversation between Phillips and Dylan and Dutch uh, there's a lot of knowing looks and the editing does a great job cutting to the faces of the characters when they're not talking to you I think that's just as important conversations uh, to tell us the audience what's going on in that char- 
character's head and maybe, like you said, do some foreshadowing where Phillips has a has a good look when Carl Weathers interrupts him and starts breaking down the mission more on Arnold's level. Like, hey, here's what the general's really saying. And then the general has this kind of look, um, in my opinion, is because maybe the general has... A harder time just lying directly to Dutch. Maybe he's seen as more of like this paternal figure to, to Dutch. Um, and I do like Arnold's job of acting when Carl Weathers has started to interrupt General Phillips. Arnold looks at Carl Weathers slash Dylan, gives a little tiny passing look to the general, like, yeah, you interrupted him. Let's hear what you have to say. And just says, go on. And, and I think there is at least an inkling that Arnold has dealt with the CIA types before. And, and he's now starting to enter those murky waters. He's starting to have an idea of what he's in for. But he still goes along with it, which in my mind just makes me really curious why he would do that if he suspected that. Oh, well, of course, it's because of his personal history with Dylan. That's that's the obviously thing. Yeah, well, he just where he just decides that he knows Dylan's not telling him everything, but that's okay because he knows Dylan's got his back no matter what. So it doesn't matter that he didn't tell him everything. Mm-hmm. The reason I think that is true, especially in this case, is because of the later scene that you'll see later when they're in the helicopter and Dylan then gives him another line to sort of show that again that things aren't exactly what they seem. When he tells him that uh, they're going to be on their own, they have no backup, and then Arnold clearly I think has the exact same feeling of like okay this is clearly not the way i want it and it's not i'm not in control of it but it's okay i've got i've got my buddy dylan right here because the very next lines between them right after that is when they're smiling at each other and sort of making quips right before they uh, drop down in the jungle and go to work i absolutely cannot wait to talk about those minutes because that's yeah just all sorts of subtext not just from those two but then we're gonna be introduced to all the characters uh, in the team so you point out that dylan has a mustache are you thinking that makes him less trustworthy than than he would be if he was clean shaven i think so i think so because <laughs> men with mustache are less are less trustworthy it's just just i've i've, I've heard that in uh, movie talk before when mm. casting and actors making choices i look at phillips phillips actually has a little bit of a mustache going on too a little bit of a straw yeah. kind of looking mustache not as mm-hmm. business-like as Dylan's. Yeah, I, I have heard that mm-hmm. that mustaches are used in movies to sometimes denote the character is hiding something. You should look for a poster called The Trustworthiness of Beards. Have you ever heard of this? I have not. That's right. The uh, It's got a poster showing all these different kind of beard styles. What's trustworthy and what's not trustworthy. At the trustworthy end is kind of what you'd expect. It starts with a big full beard is the most trustworthy. The second most trustworthy is something <laughs> they kind of they call the Gandalf. Yeah, I was going to say like a guru or something. Yeah, exactly. And then the non-trustworthy ones go down through like homeless type shaggy beards, uh, a werewolf. <laughs> and then by far the least trustworthy one is the Hitler. Right. But mustaches are in the mildly trustworthy to neutral range on this uh, on this highly scientific chart. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I see I see where you mean. Yeah, the Carl Weathers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All that to say that I don't know if the mustache is a, is a big reason not to not to trust him. I think that one thing you'll see if you're around people that work in a place where you have the facial hair requirements. John, you might mm-hmm. remember this from working like in kitchens and stuff. And this is definitely true among law enforcement and firefighters and a lot of folks that I used to hang around. Sure. And back when I worked on the ambulance, they uh, they had specific rules on what your facial hair could look like. And the uh, the mustache was the only thing you were typically allowed to have. And so the guys who really wanted to show that they were that they were experienced and been around they would have a mustache the new guys always clean shaven but the guys mm. the old hands always 
the mustache. And so I think the mustache isn't isn't as deceitful as as you might think. All right, all right. Could just be me, yeah, reading into it a little bit. <laughs> Well, that's a good point. And if you if you've read that, that's a that's a common plot element, then I believe it. Yeah, good mustache talk, mustache cast. You're talking about going into the character's background and deeper into the lore a little bit uh, for those people who really mm-hmm. do want that kind of background information. And I mm-hmm. pull a lot of this from Xenopedia. I I believe I mentioned that in minute one or two. Uh, of the podcast where if you want to know more about the spaceships of the predators or the characters from the movies really any of the movies you can go to xenopedia x-e-n-o pulling its name from the xenomorph from the aliens franchise that wikipedia specializes in predator and aliens lore and here is some of the information from carl weathers character dylan his full name is al dylan and his background with dutch is that he served with dutch in vietnam and cambodia and thailand And in Thailand, that's where he received uh, the lighter with Dutch. We see the lighter once in a helicopter and more so in the script. There's more lines when they're flying over the jungle in the helicopters later on um, where they would give some dialogue. You hear some more information, some more background between those two characters. The Vietnam experience was the Battle of Hue that they mention. Um, Battle of Hue, I I, I watched a couple of videos uh, about that and yeah, it looks just like the rest of Vietnam, just looks like terrible conflict. Uh, and this one was in a city where they're going building to building, essentially, kind of like modern day Afghanistan skirmishes. Famously uh, shown very well in Full Metal Jacket. You probably remember, I certainly, when I think of Battle of Way, that's uh, what I think about is I think of Full Metal Jacket where they have all the urban combat scenes. And yeah, that's sort of what makes, I think, Way kind of interesting choice for them to be buddies from is uh, that was when people think of the conflict in Vietnam, they think more about jungle warfare. But Huey was definitely the right. the big urban battle of that war. But I think they were just point out the Battle of Huey just because it was a very famous battle during the war and to show that they had some serious combat experience together really serious combat yeah so if you if you knew your background about vietnam war the type of fighting that would make these guys really hard to phase and really um, focused when it comes to their mission a little bit of pop culture tie-in to dylan the video game mortal kombat x or mortal kombat 10 features a skin for the jacks character where you can make jacks look like carl weathers character dylan with the i don't know what you'd call it the jungle camouflage hat and fatigue pants dylan he looks like he's uh got his shirt off and he's got the and he's got the mechanical arms from jacks right and he has the mustache yeah and he's just got like green fatigue pants on and he's got the uh the baseball style cap government issue cap uh, you can also put johnny cage uh, another character from mortal kombat into a dutch skin although his dutch skin does not inspire dutch for me but when i see jacks as Carl Weathers no. totally is referencing Dylan. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the Google image. Yeah, it's kind of like the combat vest, but other than that, Johnny Cage doesn't doesn't really pull off an Arnold. You need you need way more built. You need, you need someone on, on Jax's level, basically, to be looking like that, <laughs> looking like Dutch. When those characters with those respective skins meet in the beginning of the battle, they do slap arms and say, you son of a bitch, um, and recreate that handshake. <laughs> the jungle hunter predator is also... F- a featured playable character in Mortal Kombat X. Just one more detail about Dylan, just (laughs) random detail, is that there is a goblin spider species named after him called the Predator Runops Dylan. Not the only spider to be named after a character. There might be more, but from my research, another goblin spider, Predator Runops Phillips 
Predator Runops Phillips after R.G. Armstrong's character, General Phillips. Yeah, was, I was very impressed that you found this, John. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> I went and looked at the Wikipedia page, and sure enough, like every major character from the movie has a species of spider named after him. Yeah. And then when they ran out of characters from the movie, they went ahead and threw in a bunch of other terms and names from the movie. These guys must have been big fans. Yeah. They got all the spellings right. They got the first and last names of some of these characters. Mm-hmm. Anyway, very, very cool. We see Predatorunops Anna, and then imagine me saying Predatorunops before each of these names, where I'll just say P. P. Billy, P. Blaine, P. Dylan, P. Dutch, P. Mac Elliot. P. Mac Elliot. Because <laughs> that's his full name, Mac Elliot. That's his full name. That's right. P. Poncho, P. Poncho. P. Rick Hawkins. P. Rick Hawkins, P. Schwarzenegger, P. Vallarta, P. Valverde, P. Chicano, P. McTiernan, P. Old Demon, P. Peter Hall. I, I love that one, right? Paying homage, homage to Kevin Peter Hall. P. Phillips and P. Yaucha. Yaucha being the canonized name for the Predator. The predator yeah, that's species. the one that like throws me here. Is I can't believe they knew Yaucha. These guys <laughs> must be serious fans. I know that's that's like the best reach of all because we're naming the species of spider after a fictitious species of alien. Like we we, we took the, <laughs> the canonized species name and we we now have it. And did you uh, did you look at the the Google image of this uh, of this? Goblin spider. I was just going to, and it's got pretty, pretty ugly mouth. It's one ugly mother, you might say. Oh, it and totally the, is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it might oh. make you want to look at it and say, "What the hell are you?" Looking at, it, I, I immediately don't want to look at it anymore. Yikes! Exactly, but the the mouth looks a lot like the uh, the mouth of the uh, the predator to, uh, in this movie. Yeah, so that'll be our I think our big note for this minute. If you want to see these images, it's Predator Unops. It's like the word predator, then O O N O P S right afterwards as one word. I might be mispronouncing it. it. Might be Predatoronops or Predator Goblin Spider. I think will get you there. You told me something interesting that that has me surprised. Yeah. So you told me about another little piece of of interesting pop culture that you found, and you mm-hmm. pointed out that Carl Weathers did not approve his likeness for action figures, like a little plastic toy. Right. But you said that he recorded dialogue for this Mortal Kombat video game. It says a uh, you wrote down here the alternate skin for Dylan replaces Jax's default dialogue with new dialogue recorded by Carl Weathers. Oh my gosh. Whoa. It makes me wonder what the difference is in Carl Weathers' mind <laughs> between giving his likeness to a video game and... Right, I'll have, to, I'll have to listen. Let me listen to the dialogue here on the YouTube video. A YouTube video of the uh, of the Mortal Kombat game? Yeah, it totally sounds like Carl Weathers. He says his character, Jax, slams his fist together and says, God, I hate your movie references. <laughs> So he did record some new stuff then, huh? Yeah. Interesting. But I'm just surprised that Carl Weathers would lend his name to the video game and not an action figure. But regardless, I think it's kind of cool that they were able to get that, to get get a voice like that originally for the video game. It seems like that's more common these days, certainly, than it was 20 years ago, <laughs> 30 years ago, that the uh, there was no way you were going to get a movie star to lend their voice to, to some video game. I'm sure it's still a tough sell now. But 
I think it's cool that they're able to get better voice talent than they ever did in the past. I agree. I think I think video games and these kind of comic movies, really genre-specific movies, have become so much more popular now that as a star, you'd be a fool not to at least dip your toe into something like that and spend half an hour recording lines for however much they're going to pay you and however much that spreads your brand. And- absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. Because the more, I think the more awareness there is, the more crossover between different media, the better it's going to be. For, for whatever the universe is that you're trying to advertise. You look at something like the comic movies nowadays, and if they want a big star for those movies, they or a big name director, they really don't have a hard time <laughs> grabbing those stars or those directors. Or as we saw, Alan Silvestri is now working on the Avengers movie scores, all, all sorts of behind the scenes people at the top of their respective games. Just one more tie-in to merchandise. We talked about Mortal Kombat X. Last year, the 2017 San Diego Comic-Con, the 30th anniversary of Predator was celebrated by distributing a limited edition of Arnold Schwarzenegger's character Dutch in this very scene, in the jungle briefing scene, it is called. Um, It's a seven-inch figure created and sold by NECA Toys, and the description is, this NECA action figure debut celebrates the 30th anniversary of the classic Predator movie. Jungle briefing Dutch features the likeness of Arnold Schwarzenegger and the character's iconic red polo and cigar from the beginning of the movie. The figure comes with jungle map dossier that opens and closes an M16 with grenade launcher. The display worthy foil accented 30th anniversary window box packaging even recreates the immortal handshake slash arm wrestle between Dylan and Dutch. Jungle Briefing Dutch has over 20 points of articulation and stands approximately 7 inches tall. This is all from foosh.com. It retailed for $30 and now you can find it on eBay and Amazon for around 50 So thoughts on the figure? I sent you some screenshots. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you which <laughs> of those accessories you think is cooler. The uh, very accurately reproduced map from this scene or the M16 with grenade launcher? <laughs> Which one would you rather take with you into the jungle? <laughs> curious. Well, <laughs> well, we do see the map make a very brief appearance later on in the movie when, like, you closed one of our minutes previously <laughs> where he's asking Billy to find a way out of the hole. Find a way out of this hole. They're referencing the map. L- love the N16 with grenade attachment, and I do really appreciate how they recreated the map, even though at least one of the numbers is clearly wrong, where they're referencing a time saying 2362, but... If you look at the map in the movie, it's clearly 2322. There would be no 2362 time. The action figure set, there were several that were released all at the same time, and I actually have never, I haven't found the full set at this point. I found a website that sells a set of seven, but it doesn't actually have the uh, the Jungle Briefing Dutch on it. It's got uh, seven other action figures that are in there. So I actually don't know how many in total there are, and it looks like there's at least eight, maybe more, from this, yeah, from this 30th anniversary in the they're, they're obviously meant to be collectibles. Uh, they're all super detailed. They're this really fine artwork. So, you know, like every little vein in Arnold is like in his likeness. Dutch's likeness in this movie is sort of drawn out really carefully. And when you, on the, all these websites that you can order them from, it looks like they're packaged in a way that they're not even meant to be opened. Obviously, these collectibles is uh, what people are meant to take them for. Clearly, they're collectibles. And when I read the comments, I see that sometimes where someone says, oh man, I, re- I, I want to order two of them so that I can open one of them. Because 
right? They're, they're meant for displaying on the shelf. We can talk more about the toys as we go too. I just wanted to mention that one because Jungle Briefing Dutch is about to exit uh, the movie <laughs> in the next minute. Just a couple quick notes about him before we move on. The dossier they mentioned in the uh, description of the toy has the flag of Valverde, this fictional country created for uh, this movie's, well, this movie's background. Um, I've, I haven't seen it seen it in the script itself. I'll make sure to look through the script more diligently to see if they actually mention Valverde by name so I can kind of make a note for the next minute to come back to that. That is supposed to be the Valverde flag. It's uh, three horizontal stripes, red, yellow, and then green. You can Google the flag of Valverde um, and what you see is this essentially a black eagle outline with, gosh, it's hard to tell, a horizontal lightning bolt in its chest. This kind of red circle with a black lightning bolt going across it. I don't know what that's supposed to symbolize. Maybe just how fierce this country is and how rugged its terrain is. Um, And it has the eagle itself on the flag has a wreath around it of, I don't know what, those are supposed to be feathers or leaves. Are you looking at the same thing I am? Yeah, it kind of looks like the, like olive leaves, like you would see in an olive branch, but I think that's... uh... Would be misplaced from everything that we know about Valverde. Right. <laughs> the lightning bolt, I think, is a better better representation. You're not going to see the Valverde flag on anything in this movie. It's simply going to be on accessories or uh, later movies. Um, I had mentioned that it the country Valverde makes a, an, an appearance in Die Hard 2. Just to clarify the involvement that Valverde had in Die Hard 2, that the president that the terrorists are trying to intercept on his way being extradited from Valverde to the U.S., the president was facing drug trafficking charges and in some other sources they say the president in that movie played by Franco Nero was facing some war crimes charges because originally he was propped up by U.S. intelligence to take down the communists but then he was not a good leader himself. Anyway there's your tie-in from <laughs> Predator to Die Hard 2 through Valverde. You know what if the uh, the scientists from Brazil chasing down goblin spiders think it's Valverde <laughs> and his 30th anniversary <laughs> collectible guys think it's over Elverde. I'm going to go ahead and, and just go out on a limb and say I think it's Valverde. Yeah. Uh, looking at Dutch, the figure himself it, in this, he is super duper bulky, in my opinion. Um, in this, this collectible, if, if you see him in this movie, he is not he might be bulkier on the shoulders and the chest region, but his uh, his trunk itself is not that bulky. He was not a bulky trunk area bodybuilder. He did the, the, the show spots like the arms and the shoulders and the chest and the back. But at the waist, uh, he was well known for having that vacuum stomach where the waist was tiny and the rest of them kind of upside down triangled from the waist up and having muscular legs but this Schwarzenegger in this box yeah is really bulkier on the waist yeah he's been pushing too many hot pockets or something like that (laughs) yeah that might be better fitting for uh, Jesse Ventura's physique in this movie he's definitely yeah just uh, all around bulky guy looks like an NFL lineman uh, in this movie you're talking about the Predator action figures or Predator collectible figures and yeah there's another version of Dutch where it's much more to his body type maybe they took I don't know maybe they took another figure and then just reskinned it for this toy to be jungle briefing touch but i do really appreciate how <laughs> we have we have a toy to go along with with these minutes <laughs> all of these um, scenes yeah it's so detailed yeah. this toy is very impressive yeah very detailed 
seven inches tall, that would be uh, a little more than twice as tall as our G.I. Joe action figures growing up, who are, I believe, three and a quarter inches tall. So he would have appropriately towered over the likes of Storm Shadow and Cobra Commander and (laughs) 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 Snake Eyes. The G.I. Joe figures, yeah. (laughs) Oh man, having some predator figures running around with those GI Joe figures. Oh, that would have been that would have been, been a, a dream lot of fun. Back oh yeah, in the day. yeah, still would be. What are we waiting for? Oh yeah, what are we waiting for? Let's <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's get, Skype some GI Joe. Let's play. get this happen. <laughs> the director commentary for this minute is not any different than the previous minute. He goes on and continues to talk about how much he loves Carl Weathers and calls him a damn good actor. And I think he's absolutely right. We talked about this a lot in the last minute that he was a good choice to play opposite. Arnold, as opposed to just mm-hmm. another big body like Jesse the Body Ventura comes to mind as someone who sort of fills the role of someone who has a big physique that could be next to him. But that's not really, I think, the best choice. And I think Carl Weathers is a really good choice that he's able to, especially for scenes like this, where they're going back and forth in the dialogue and there's a lot of subtlety to what mm-hmm. they're saying to each other. Uh, subtlety as far as action movies go. This is... <laughs> this is not Phantom of the Opera here, but uh, <laughs> right. But uh, but the fact that they have any subtlety at all is is I think thanks to bringing in people like Carl Weathers here to lend the acting a lot more credibility, and I think it helps Arnold's sort of presentation in this scene also. Yeah, I imagine Arnold being as studious and diligent as he is in everything he pursues is right performing these takes and then thinking, okay, how how would my character really be? reacting like watching Carl Weathers and taking note from his character mm-hmm. about about how to react and yeah just love the, the interactions here both silent and spoken what's your favorite performance in this movie Ooh, that's a really good question I love Arnold how he's really in the zone for his character where his character has a few times where he's jokey but for the most part he is he's super serious as a character and he's just so dedicated to the mission and then dedicated to survival later um, everything he's doing is is really single-minded and I, I appreciate that but if I had to go favorite performance I mean I think I, I have to go Dylan just because Carl Weathers um, has to play a two-sided where he's asking the, the team to do one thing but they're totally going in for something else he pulls it off with his acting and his spoken and his non-verbal and all the way up through the gorilla camp. If you watch it for those things, he's playing it the whole time. He's he's playing it excellently. And then he tries to score a moment of redemption at the end of Act 2, where the Predator is killing off the rest of Dutch's team. I think he does get some redemption there. Yeah, I, I think he totally does, uh, especially with him interacting with Mac later, who in the beginning he is not making a good first impression on. And then by the end, I think Mac can see he's, he's on their side. He's in this till the end. And right, the end comes for them very quickly, but I really, really like yeah. Carl Weathers' performance. I'm learning, Dylan. So you'd like that. All right. So you liked it more than the dirty jokes from Shane Black or the... Uh... <laughs> Kind of like the ridiculous, like laughter and machismo of Jesse Ventura. Yeah, or the, the just the out there wackiness of Sonny Landham of Billy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think so. What about you? What's your favorite? Oh, Bill Duke, definitely. Bill Duke's Mac. Mac. He's just yeah. He's my favorite. He's, he goes from very very serious intense to crazy and intense. So we'll yeah. talk about this later. The scene where he breaks the razor on his face. Mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite favorite shot in the movie 
Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait to talk about that then. Yeah. Just how that is like heightening the tension. Oh, yeah. Well, and you see, you see that reference a lot. In fact, I, I saw an interview with, uh, you know, the comedian Bill Burr is the guy from Boston with red hair. He's, his whole shtick is just like complaining about stuff, basically. I saw an interview with him and he was talking about how much he liked the movie. And he was like, sometimes I think I feel like that guy from Predator who's like, <laughs> Always talking about, oh, there's something in those trees. Breaking the razor on his face. And, and he was just like, you take him about that as like the, his greatest example of like crazy intensity. And, uh, and I have to agree that like he's just, uh, he has so much intensity throughout the whole movie and it's sort of directed in different ways, like in a very quiet, mm-hmm. serious way until the end when it's like out of control and, uh, yeah. and crazy. Anyway, that's, that's my favorite. Not that, not that it's necessarily a super complex role, but he just, I feel like he does it extremely well, very believable, all the more so because it makes his character at least as interesting and memorable as all the others in the film, which is right. impressive to me f- if it's not one of the sort of the big three guys or I'd say the big four guys of, of Arnold, Jesse, Carl Weathers, and Sonny Landham, who are like, I think by far the most imposing physical presences in the movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas him and Richard Chavez and Shane Black are definitely, they're less muscular than the, uh, than the other guys. And so any time where they really, where those characters stand out, I think is, is pretty cool and interesting. When we go through the movie, we'll talk much more about those character relationships, especially between Mac and Blaine and then post Blaine, you know, Mac is still reflecting. And so that's, that's gives us even more uh, insight into those relationships and those backgrounds. You did mention something that you saw in the set that I didn't pick up. I was actually, I was actually looking for it and I still didn't see it. You said you saw some, something on the fire extinguisher. Yeah, some red and green, I can only describe it as like tinsel or something like that, some kind of decoration at second 10, 11, and then I believe they start walking around. Yeah, it, there's a little bit wider shot where he says, what's with the oh, tie? Yeah, so yeah, you're right. Forget about the tie. I'm thinking, is that Shane Black's influence? He loves, loves, loves that Christmas feeling, you know? Like, you <laughs> see it in Lethal Weapon, you see it in The Nice Guys. I believe you see it in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, don't you? Long Kiss Goodnight, you definitely has a lot of like weird Christmas stuff in because it's this winter theme movie. But yeah, it looks like Holly with mistletoe, maybe? I can't tell. Oh yeah, yeah. You definitely have some Christmas flair in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So yeah, just, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's trying to put a little time on it or something like that. Like, hey, look, there's some red and green. John McTiernan. Yeah, or John McTiernan. Die Hard. One of the best Christmas movies of all time. That's, that's what people say. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Christmas spirit in that movie <laughs> yeah a lot of christmas spirit not so much this movie <laughs> there is a lot of red and green in this movie yeah there is a lot of red and green that's a really good point <laughs> i sort of wonder <laughs> a lot of jungle green and a lot of arterial red you can call it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> actually well it kind of made me wonder about the the red polo that arnold has is one of the reasons mm. that is is sort of a little bit of foreshadowing for how bloody this movie is going to be yeah and the muscles maybe talking about just how much you know viscera we're going to see how much <laughs> insides people Ugh. yikes goodness all right all right my last note is about the script differences as i mentioned before Dylan gave a little bit more detail about the Berlin job that Dutch's team pulled off. He says, blew the entry points on three floors and neutralized the opposition in eight seconds flat. So that that's all the details we hear there. We don't know what the neutralizing means. And in Dutch's case, I imagine that means they just wiped them all out. That's some neutralization. <laughs> that's the way their rescue jobs go. Yeah. <laughs> 
rescue job means kill everybody for the sake of saving who knows a, a couple people the other difference from here is that the general's lines here at the end of this minute uh, were all dylan's lines or dylan spoke all of those lines originally but in the movie they changed it by giving the general a couple of the lines and then dylan takes it the rest of the way and i i think that's a good choice given the general just a couple more lines just his character has a little bit more depth and it gives his character the chance to give a couple knowing looks to carl weathers um, as carl weathers takes it from him to explain the rest of the mission to arnold anything else anything you can think of for this minute i got nothing else okay so as you mentioned you're listening to our first minute which is now up on itunes you can find this fine podcast on on most podcatcher services itunes google play music stitcher tune in my personal podcatcher service is podcast republic we have more to come as the episodes progress i'm sure this will be more widespread i'll make sure to find more venues on which to publish Uh, spotify is a big one that i want to aim for to put this podcast up we are hosted on soundcloud at predator minute podcast so if you go there that's always the uh, the very first place these episodes will post because that's where i publish them and from there the rss feed feeds into all the other services you can find us on twitter at predator minute you can find us on Facebook at Predator Minute. We have a page that we maintain just called Predator Minute Podcast. Um, If you have questions or comments or have any other cool pictures of Predator toys or the Valverde flag or set decorations that make you go, hmm, you can email us at PredatorMinute at gmail.com. For Predator Minute, I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And until next time, get to the chopper!